Thank you for listening to the podcasts from Life Central Church. For more information or to visit one of our locations, go to lifecentralchurch.org.uk. Hey, it is so good to be with you here in the room, but also for those of you that are watching online, whether you're at one of the locations or you just stumbled upon, maybe you were trying to find like an old rerun of a Neighbours episode and you... <laughs> typed in the word Australian and this Australian bloke popped up on your screen. I don't know how you landed here today, whether online or in the room, but I am so glad to be with you today. Um, As Leon said, my name's Jason Perkins and in Australia, we like to just butcher everybody's name and we love to butcher the English language and so that's why we've had prime ministers like ScoMo and we now have one called Albo. And my nickname is Perko. They took my last name, Perkins, and they shortened it, threw an O on the end of it. And so most people refer to me as Perko. And I have a beautiful family. My wife and I have uh, been married now for 22 years. Here are my kids and my wife. Uh, My oldest son, Xavier, is 21 years old. He's a super serious guy. He's kind of got his direction in life ready to go, and he's on that path. My daughter, Olivia, is one of the most free-spirited people you have ever met. She's an outdoor educator and she just loves the outdoors, super free spirited. And then my youngest son, Miles, unfortunately, is kind of a mini me, which I, I'm so, so sad for him. The rest of his life's gonna be challenging for him. He is the life of the party. He is a lot of fun. And my wife and I uh, just are thrilled to be in the UK. I haven't been in the UK uh, since I was 16 years old, so 30 years. 30 years. And here's what I would say. People have asked me, you know, what do you think of the UK? And I'd say, nothing's changed much in the last 30 years. (laughs) You guys' buildings have just gotten 30 years older. Our buildings in Australia, they haven't been built to last. And so we've got all new buildings in the last 30 years. But we are thrilled to be in the UK and even more so thrilled to be here at Life Central. Um, If you're new to church, maybe you're brand new to the whole church experience, I just want to point out something that's a little bit weird, okay? What just happened for the last 20 minutes normally would take a couple of beers on a Saturday night for people to do, but a whole bunch of people have just walked in. It's, not even, it's barely 10 o'clock in the morning and they're singing at the top of their lungs and there's no bouncing ball to follow the words. They just know what to do. Some people during the songs had questions, I noticed. Some people were raising their hand. Some people had two questions, raising both hands at the same time, wondering what is this? Here's what you need to know. There was a line in that last song that we talked about and it said these words. It said, Jesus, for our sake, you died. That's the whole reason we do what we just did before 10 o'clock in the morning without anybody having beers. We're overwhelmed by this incredible God who loved us so much. He sent his only son, Jesus, Not like he had a number of sons to choose from. His only son. And so it's because of that we praise him, we celebrate him. It's like we're at a football match and we're going nuts because of what Jesus did for us. If you're brand new to church, maybe this is your first time ever. Maybe it's your first time in a long time. I don't know how you stumbled across this thing online. But if you don't hear anything else, that's what this is all about. He loved us so much. For our sake, he died. 
Here's what I'd love for you to do as we kick off today. I'd love for you to grab your phone, and this will give some of you a good excuse to be on your phone for the rest of the talk, by the way. If you wanna just keep your phone out, that'd be great. I'd love for you, because I'd like to do a quick survey, I'd love for you to scan this QR code with your phone. It's gonna take you to a quick survey about aeroplane flights. I just came to the UK on a 30-hour journey, 3-0. 22 of those hours were in the air. Eight of those hours were at the beautiful city of Singapore. We had the lovely eight-hour layover in Singapore. We had enough time to leave the airport, have dinner. It was a fantastic time. But when you've traveled that far to come to a place like this, I want to find out some things about you guys in the audience. And if you're watching online, you can do that as well about your aeroplane experience. The first question you can answer, you probably have already done it, is have you ever been on an aeroplane before, yes or no? And even if you've never flown on an aeroplane, you can still complete the whole survey. The next question is, is one of my favorites. What is your favorite or least favorite part of flying? My favorite is the takeoff. I love the exhilaration of the takeoff. When you, and we were in a huge plane coming from Singapore to London and it took forever to get that huge plane off the ground. It was one of the longest takeoffs, but I love it. I hate taxiing. That's my least favorite part of the flight. Now, when it comes to the year 2022, some of you are already to this question. Here's the question. How would you describe 2022 if it were a flight for you? Hopefully nobody's checked six, crash and burn. Hopefully nobody's there. But maybe it's been a little bit turbulent for you. I don't know. Maybe it's felt like it's been climbing. Maybe you were going in a certain direction and you had to do the big bank and you went left out of the bathrooms, by the way. If you go to the back and turn left, you can bank out. Or if you go this way, you can go. Alison did a great job of sharing that with us for those of you that weren't in the room. The bathrooms, you just bank that way and you bank that way, you'll get there if you need one, okay? Now, here's the next question. This is an important one. What kind of flight do you hope for over the next year? Because that's what I wanna talk about this morning. Many of you have just started off a brand new school year. Maybe some of you parents in the room, especially the mums, are thrilled by that because you don't have the kids at home all week and you've just sent them off and it's kind of a fresh new start right now for many people. When you think about the next year, right now into next year, what kind of year are you hoping for? Are you hoping it's a year of climbing? Are you hoping actually, you know what, I just hope it's smooth? Certainly nobody's wishing it would crash and burn, I'm certain. Now, when it comes to flying, there are questions that people ask when they're on a flight. And I wanna quickly tell you some of the most, these are the top questions that flight attendants get when people are flying. The first one, where are we flying over right now? Which the flight attendant responds, I have no idea. Why are you asking me that? Why is your seatbelt different from ours? Because they, they wanna be safer than the rest of us on the flight. Can you help me with my bag? Well, you packed it, you carry it. That was my motto when I used to travel with my sister. She would take these huge bags. I would always say, you, you packed it, you carry it. Can I change my seat or how do I flush? That's an important one. This is an important one nowadays. Do you have a SIM eject tool or can I borrow your earrings so I can get my SIM card out of my phone? The answer to this question, the number one is, can I change my seat? That's the number one question that flight attendants ask or are asked when they're flying. 
When I get on a plane, I sit down on the plane, I sit in my seat, and I always ask the same question of people around me. I'm that guy, by the way. Some of you are like, oh, so glad I never have to fly next to this bloke. You sit down, and in the first couple of seconds, he's already asking you questions. Quick, get your AirPods in so that that bloke doesn't ask you questions. Here's my favorite question to ask. I love asking, are you coming or going? Because the answer to this question actually explains a lot about that person. Are you coming or going? Most often though, the question I get asked is this question, what do you do? At which time I try to come up with a fancy answer to that question so that they don't change the way that they're talking. Maybe they change their vernacular when they find out that I'm a guy that works with churches and travels around speaking to people in churches. But these questions, are you coming or going, or what do you do? These questions are actually a reflection on the type of society and culture that we live in. Here's what's true, and I've, I've seen this the world over. We live in an incredibly externally focused culture today. People are always asking about what you do. People wanna know what you have. People are constantly concerned with what people think and say about them. And you may be saying, you know what? You've got a funky accent. It's kind of this mixed version of Australian with a bit of American sprinkled on top. I spent too much time in the US. My, my wife says that I have the Russell Crowe version of the Australian accent. Just spent too much time in the United States over the years. You may be pushing back right now saying, oh, I don't know about that, Perko. I don't know if that's completely true. Let me ask you this. What did you wake up thinking about this morning? If you're anything like me, you probably woke up thinking about what you have to do today <laughs> or what you need to go and, and have in your life. Or maybe, like many people, they wake up, they grab their phone, they check social media to find out what other people think or say about them. And here's what ends up happening. Because of this externally focused culture that we live in, whether you're a church person or not a church person, makes no difference. Whether you're young or old, male or female, makes no difference. Because of this externally focused culture that we all live in, here's what ends up happening. We do more so we can have more, so people will think more and maybe even say more about us. That's what tends to happen. Now, if you're not a church person, if you'd say, you know what, this, this church thing, I've still got questions about it. I'm not kind of into the religious thing. I'm not sure whether I believe everything about the Bible. Here's what I want to invite you to do. Just for a couple of moments, I'm going to give you a break from the talk. So if you, you've already got your phone out because you took the survey, you can just go onto your social media platform for a few moments because I just want to talk to all the church people just for a moment. We're going to have a bit of a private conversation, all us church people, just for a moment. If you're not a church person, you can listen in. If you're watching online, that's fine. All the church people, lean in just for a moment. We take this and we religiously complicate it. Here's what we tend to do. We do more for God to have a better relationship with God so God will think, maybe even say something better about us. If we're being honest, we religiously complicate this thing. And if I'm being completely honest, 
I would have never stood up on a platform and said, hey, if you do more for God, then he'll think more of you and say more about you. You'll have it. I would never have said that, but I've lived my life for many years religiously complicating this whole thing. Now, if you're not a church person, you can check back into the conversation. If you're watching online or at one of the locations, check back in. Because the next part of this is for all of us. We religiously complicated. And you know what? It actually works for a period of time. This has actually worked for me for a period of time. When I did more for God, I would have more responsibility when it came to things like church ministry or the camp and conference ministry that I used to be involved with. 85 countries around the world with Christian camps and conference centers in them. And because I did more for God, guess what? They would have me go to more countries and do things like this. And then eventually it led for people in the United States to invite me to come and be a pastor of a church in Colorado. And because I was doing more there, the church grew, groups doubled, attendance tripled. We started a a movement in our city that literally over a hundred churches in our city unified together to love the city with no, no strings attached. Most incredible thing to be a part of. And it worked. When we do more for God, oftentimes we have more opportunities to do things for him and people will think and say better things about us and it works for a period of time. I'll never forget though one night, I was in Colorado Springs. I was walking around the neighborhood with my wife in the height of all of these incredible things that we were doing for God. There was some turmoil amongst relationships in our church that was so toxic. I'll never forget, I took my glasses off. I was dropping F-bombs at God in my neighborhood, walking around, and I snapped my glasses in half and I threw them on the ground. Everything externally. People would have looked at it and said, wow, Perko, your church is growing. Look at this citywide movement that's happening right now. Everything externally, terrific. But internally, I was falling apart. Maybe that's your story. Maybe on the outside, things look fantastic. But internally, things are really struggling. Because of that moment, my wife said to me, you need to get some help. And so I reached out to a friend of mine to get some help. And I was introduced to somebody that's become a great friend to me now, a guy named Lance Witt. Lance introduced me to this concept of what he calls soul care. He refers to it as tending to the garden of your inner life. See, most of my life, both in the marketplace and in ministry, most of my life had been focused on how you harvest, how you harvest the forest of your external life how you build a business, how you build a family, how you build a church or how you build a ministry. Most of my life I had been trained and was focused on how to harvest the forest of my external life. But nobody had ever sat me down and said, Jason, this is what it looks like to tend to the garden of your inner life. So with somebody that for most of their life had been focused on harvesting the external forest of their life, 
What does it look like to tend to the garden of your inner life? Well, this morning, I want to take you to a story. Some of you are thinking, well, we're in church. Eventually, he's going to get to the Jesus part, right? This has been a great kind of Tony Robbins motivational speech so far, but eventually, we're going to get to the Jesus part. There's a story in the Bible that a guy named Luke, who was a a doctor in the first century, who recorded what happened in the life of Jesus. And he gives us some great detail in this story that really helps us to understand what does it look like to tend to the garden of our inner life, not just be focused on our external life. Listen to the words that Luke shares in this story, and I'll set the context for you. Jesus and his followers, these small group of guys, these 12 blokes that some of you may have heard of, the disciples, many people refer to as the apostles, they would travel around from town to town. And we pick up the story with Jesus and his followers in Luke. He says this, as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. Now, here's what you need to know. When Jesus and his disciples traveled, They would walk from town to town. And when they rolled into town, they didn't find the local like Holiday Inn Express and book out a whole floor of rooms for them to stay in. They would actually stay in people's homes. And they wouldn't just be invited into somebody's home for a meal. They were invited to stay there and to make this place as if it was their home. And that's exactly what Martha did. Martha invited Jesus and his disciples into her home. Luke goes on and continues the story. He says, this lady Martha, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now, here's what you need to understand. Luke, this guy that's recording the story for us thousands of years ago so that we can enjoy the story and learn from it today, he gives us some detail that is so important in this story. In the first century, Jesus was a rabbi And when Jesus went into places, you wouldn't have wanted to sit at Jesus' feet. You would have liked to have sat on the right or the left-hand side of the rabbi. Because then everybody at the dinner party, everybody in the home would have thought highly of you because you were sitting on his right or his left-hand side. But not Mary. Mary chose to come and sit down at the rabbi's feet. This position is so incredibly important. Not sitting at Jesus' right or his left, but sitting at the feet of Jesus. Here's why this is so important. If you were a follower of a rabbi in the first century, you would sit at his feet so that you could learn from the rabbi. Not to be seen by others as important, but because you wanted to learn from your rabbi. Don't miss this. Sitting at the feet of Jesus was Mary's main agenda. Her sister Martha, though, Luke tells us, she wasn't wasn't sitting at Jesus' feet. Luke goes on, he says this, that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Jason was distracted by all of the ministry that had to be done. Jason Perko was distracted by getting a hundred churches to unite around a cause in the city. But Martha was distracted by all the things that had to be made. 
Then Luke goes on, he says, but Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made in so much so she came to him, came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? I don't know about you, but I, <laughs> I'm not sure I would ever go and talk to Jesus quite like that. <laughs> don't you care that my sister's left me to do all the work by myself? And then Martha doubles down. Look at the end of the verse. Not only don't you care, but Jesus, tell her to help me. Maybe you've been following Jesus your whole life, or maybe you're still trying to figure out what following Jesus looks like. I don't care where you're at on the continuum. I'm not sure I would have been as bold as Martha. And then Jesus' response, oh, I love this response. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. Or indeed, Jesus now doubles down. Indeed, only one. And then this last little statement, don't miss this statement. This is so powerful. Jesus says, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Now, don't be confused. Jesus didn't say, he didn't say Mary has chosen the only thing that's important. He's just simply said, she's chosen what is better. Both are important. What Martha is doing is important, but Mary has chosen what should be priority. I'll never forget my whiteboard in Colorado Springs years ago. I wrote these words. I wrote, being with Jesus is greater than doing for Jesus. Jesus himself, he said it this way. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you sit at my feet, Mary, and if I remain in you, you will bear much fruit. And then this statement, apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. Here's what I think he's saying to every one of us in the room, every person that's watching online, even the person that's not sure if Jesus even is who he said he was, even if you're still questioning. Jesus is saying that our doing for Jesus must flow from our being with Jesus. It can't be the other way around. So what does it look like in a practical sense? Get practical, Perko. What does it look like for us in 2022 to sit at the feet of our rabbi Jesus like Mary did? What does that even look like? He's not in my home. He's not having a meal with me physically, in person. So what does it look like for me to sit at his feet? There have been a number of things over the last few years that have helped me, practical things that have helped me to position myself like Mary to sit at the feet of Jesus, to continually put myself back into the position of sitting at his feet so that my doing for him will flow out of my being with him. I want to share these things with you, but I'm, I'll, I'll tell you up front, I'm nervous to share them, and I'll tell you why. 
I'm nervous because when I put these on the screen, I don't want you to think any more highly of me than you should. It's not about these practices. It's about positioning yourself at the feet of Jesus. It's not another list of things to do for Jesus. It's just simply putting yourself back in the position of being with Jesus. There's an old Jesuit priest who's passed away now. And he said this statement. He said, the wise man points to the moon. Only the idiot sees the finger. Don't let these practices become the moon. They are just the finger pointing to the person of Jesus. Don't let them become a checklist, a to-do list. They're just simply some practical ways to keep positioning yourself at the feet of Jesus like Mary. I call them soul gardening practices, helping me tend to the garden of my inner life. And the first one that's been incredibly helpful for me is the practice of silence and solitude. It's almost like sunlight to my soul. When I look out on the alfresco area at the back of our house, my wife has these beautiful plants and the sun hits them. You can't see what the sun is doing to that plant, but without the sunlight, that plant wouldn't thrive. The same is true for your soul. Without silence and solitude, without the sunlight of just sitting and being with Jesus, soaking in his love for you, your soul can't thrive. Even if you're not a Jesus follower, it doesn't matter whether you've been following him for a long time, never followed him, thinking about following him. Even practically speaking, your counselor would say, Jason, that's just called mindfulness and it's really important for your mental and your internal health. It's a great practice and it's been life-giving to me. The second one that I'd put up on the screen is this idea of Sabbath. It's just a weekly 24-hour period of time for me where I'm not focused on being productive, whether it's paid or unpaid. I'm just soaking. It's like the weekly watering of my soul, just soaking in God's love for me. The next practice that's been incredibly helpful for me is the practice of just slowing down, not always having to take the shortest line at the grocery store, but actually standing in line with other people waiting in the grocery store and talking to them, asking them about their day, finding out what their name is and what their story is, one of the most powerful things to experience the presence of Jesus through other people, just slowing down. As a kid, when I was first following Jesus, I was raised in a tradition where we were taught to have a, a devotional time every day, and we were taught to read through the entire Bible in a year, and so I would faithfully check off the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible reading for that day, faithfully check off a psalm or a proverb, faithfully check off the New Testament passage, oftentimes forgetting within 10 minutes of my reading what I had read. Here's a practice that has been so life-giving to me recently. It's the slow relational reading of Scripture. It's been like, honestly, it's been like fertilizer to my soul. Not reading for information, but actually reading for transformation. Small passages of scripture, slow reading, thinking over and over the same thought, the same word, and allowing Jesus to use that to transform my life. 
The next practice has been a practice called simple living for me. It's like modern day minimalism. Jesus was the kind of the first century minimalist. He carried everything he had from town to town, wherever he went. But just living with less has been so life-giving. And then this last one, this is a tough one. Sadness and sorrow. I think, Jason, what are you talking about? Let's be life-giving for you. Actually leaning into losses in my life, leaning into times where it's been a little bit tough or difficult has been like that compost, those broken pieces, the leftovers, processing them have been a rich way to care for my soul. Here's what I'd love to do for you as we wrap up our time together today. I would love for you, take a look at that list that's right there in front of you. I'd love for you to think about just one thing that somehow as it came up on the screen or as I described it to you, that kind of tugged on your heart as something that maybe God might use to help you position yourself at the feet of Jesus. Maybe for you, it's the thought of just pausing for two minutes of silence and solitude each day to just be with, maybe that tugged. Maybe it was sad. I don't know what it is that tugged on your heart, but I would love to give you a free resource to help you with that one practice that would help you to position yourself to be with Jesus because remember, everything we do for Jesus must flow out of our being with him. So here's what I want to invite you to do. I want you to grab your phone again, just like we did at the beginning. Some of you have still got it out because you've been on your Instagram account maybe for the last few minutes. Who knows? But I'd like you to scan the QR code up on the screen. And you'll be given the option to put in an email address so I can send this to you. And you get to pick one of those. Some of you are overachievers and you wish you could pick all six because you want to learn about all six practices. I actually did this on purpose. You can only pick one. All the overachievers in the room are disappointed right now. I get it. But I want you just to pick one of these practices that might help you as you tend to the garden of your inner life to reposition yourself at the feet of Jesus. We started this morning this conversation by talking about the fact that we live in such an externally focused world, focused on what we do, what we have, what others think or say about us. I'd love for you to do me a favor right now. I'd love for you to look up here at the, at the stage, even if you're still filling out that form, you can do that and finish it up in just a moment. Just look back up at the stage or if you're watching online or from one of the locations, look up here this way because I wanna share with you a powerful, powerful quote as we finish that has been transformative in my life. When it comes to tending to the garden of my inner life, the great Henry Nouwen, he said this about spiritual identity. He says, spiritual identity means we are not what we do. We are not what we have or what people say about us or what they think about us. We are the beloved daughters and sons of God, full stop. So here's what I wanna invite you to do. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or you still got questions about the whole thing, I'd love to invite you to do something. This might be a little bit odd, might be a little bit strange, but I'd love for you just to close your eyes for a moment and bow your head. 
this is such a powerful, powerful statement that I want to cement it in our hearts and in our souls. So I want to invite you to repeat these words after me based off of what Nowen said. You can say it out loud or just quietly in your heart, but remind yourself afresh. Say these words. I am not what I do. Say that together. I am not what I do. I am not what I have. I am not what others think or say about me. I am a beloved child of God. Now look up with me if you would just for a moment. When you think about your flight plan for the next 12 months or so, here's what I hope for you. I hope that you'll focus more on who you need to become and less on what you think you need to get done. Focus more on being with Jesus to become the person he wants you to become and less on the doing for Jesus and what you think you need to get done. Father, would you help us to be like Mary, to continually position ourselves at the feet of Jesus so that all of our doing for you would flow out of our being with you. Remind us afresh, God, this morning that we are not what we do, we are not what we have, we are certainly not what others think or say about us. We are beloved children of the Most High God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen.